0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus be dot T's and C's apply.
1: This
2: is a Game Day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Mattaface, the European football expert Kevin Hatchard, and Talk Sports' Trevor Sinclair as we look back on an eventful Premier League weekend. Ericsson hogs the headlines as the Blues fill the Brentford buzz. Norgard puts the ball into the box, headed down by Pinnock, drops on the six-shot box. Awkward clearance. Visser!
3: That's that! It's 4-1 to Brentford, the points are safe. QMS
2: Exodus. Liverpool and City post more wins ahead of their mega showdown. Manchester United meander. Villa are bitten by wolves. And Kane pulls the strings as Spurs thrash Newcastle to ramp up the pressure on the Gunners. Lampard lambastes Everton team as Michael is too keen. And Jesse's Leeds are marching on together. VAR does its job. And another blank from Brighton and a nil from Norwich. All on the podcast that has so much energy, it makes Antonio Conte look like he needs a red ball. It's the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. This is game day. Hello, Trevor and Kevin. Uh, how are you, Kevin? You're all right. I'm going to inquire about your well-being very shortly. But Trevor played in a charity game today, so I'm just checking he's
4: not too tired. Are you okay? I'm okay. As you know, Sam, I only played forty-five minutes, but I enjoyed it. Um, it weren't about me; it was about the cause. Obviously, the uh, MEM um, tragedy. We were there to support the families that were affected. I think Manchester came together. There was a lot of Manchester-based players. And Matt Letizia, I've got to say, I've got to take my hat off to Matt Letizia. He drove up from Southampton to play in the game, to be part of it. And it was well supported and, yeah, no, it was a, a good event against the celebs
2: and uh, we smashed him. Yes, uh, you absolutely did. And you enjoyed yourself, didn't you? Darren Ambrose enjoyed himself as well, I noticed. that He, uh, he did. He, he, he was still a little bit lithe and skinny and fit, isn't he? And he made yes. sure that he made that count. So well done to him. Uh, Kevin, um, I know that you haven't been uh, um, any of those above things for a while now, but um, highlight of the week for you. <laughs> I never was, Sam, if I'm honest. So uh, I'm I'm quite happy with that. Me neither, mate. Don't Uh, worry about it. We're on the different side of the the microphone. It's okay for us. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a good
1: reason for that. Um, (laughs) It's an obvious answer, but Christian Eriksen, I mean, what an extraordinary sequence of events because not only getting that goal against Chelsea and what was an amazing win, but the way he performed for Denmark against the Netherlands. And what is great about it is that... Obviously, it's a great story, you know, him coming back so quickly after collapsing on the pitch in the way that he did. Obviously, he wasn't able to play in Italy because of the mini defibrillator he's got, so he had to readjust in that regard. But it's the fact he's there on merit. This is the proper old-school Christian Eriksen. This is the guy who's in the team on sentiment. He's playing brilliantly. He's made a
2: tangible impact on what Brentford have done. And it's like he's never been away for Denmark. So brilliant to see. Um, I think we have to acknowledge, even though it happened in a losing game, Antonio Rudiger's thunderbolt strike should have got (laughs) extra points as it was that good. It should have been awarded two goals. Um, Right, OK, should we get to the bridge where all the headlines were made? Well there's no doubting that these two Thomases
3: are much beloved by their respective fan bases. Antonio Rudiger's gonna have another go for goal here. Rudiger, oh what a goal! What a hit from Antonio Rudiger! Fully 35 yards out! But here come Brentford again and Bumo lays it off to Janelt! Oh what an equaliser! Vitali Janelt within a minute of going behind Brentford a level! Christian Eriksen scores his first goal for Brentford and he turns it around! against Chelsea! Tony into the air for Yanel who's onside! Plays it over Mendy! Oh, that's magnificent! Absolutely magnificent! Norgard puts the ball into the box, headed down by Pinnock, drops on the six-shot box, awkward clearance, Visser! That's that! It's 4-1 to Brentford, the points are safe! And there goes the full-time whistle, one of the greatest days in Brentford's modern-day history. They win at Stamford Bridge for the first time since 1939. By four goals to one.
2: Chelsea's winning run is over, well beaten by Brentford, whose tactics and game plan were spot on. They said after the game they knew that they would have more legs than Chelsea towards the end of the match. And after taking a bit of punishment, they struck three times in 10 minutes. And uh, Trevor, they took the game away from Chelsea.
4: They did. Um, I was really impressed with them. I have been with Thomas. Frank and, and, and the, the team and how they um, have got a fantastic team spirit. They work hard for each other, very willing runners. And it was, I mean, there was a lot of jeopardy in this game early on. Uh, but once they got the, the equaliser, I just thought they went from strip to strength. They started to believe in themselves. Remember, this was a, a London derby and it seemed like Chelsea had forgotten that. And the second goal in particular, you know, <clears throat> I seen Ziyech and it's, it's almost a schoolboy error trying to compete with the first ball. Against somebody who's physically a lot stronger than you, and as soon as he got wrong side, Christian and as he as top players do, realised the the, the 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 danger or the opportunity, and uh, made sure he got strides. I also thought uh, Kante made a mistake on that initial goal because if he would have stayed central, I feel like Alonso would have got across and been out, and it was from a, a bit of an acute angle where he would have been taking the initial dreadful shot but soon defending Kante, all
2: round, wasn't it? It was like they were, they were it was yeah, like kids was, in a playground gravitating towards the ball. Cool.
4: It was poor, but what a, what a result? What a performance? What scoreline? And uh, you know, like Kevin said, uh, Ericsson, what a story! Seriously.
2: How much do you think the ever increasing noise off the pitch is affecting the team on it? Kevin, talk over the takeover, uh, protests at the ground, Thomas Tuchel's wife filing for divorce in the last week as well. Do you think all that has a bit of an impact, or or do you think it's a bit of a one off?
1: I think it does to some extent, but. Thomas Tuchel's been very, very clear about this, that they can't use it as an excuse. You know, he sets the tone from the top of the club and I think he hasn't allowed the players that kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. And I think he's right to set that tone. These are very talented players. These are players who will expect to perform well against Real Madrid in the Champions League in a few days' time. I think you get these games sometimes after international breaks where players aren't quite at it, a little bit more sloppy than they usually would be. And actually, Brentford just took the opportunity and run with it. I thought Brian and Burmo was sensational, uh, you know, showing that forwards can't can't always be judged on the number of goals they score mm. sometimes it's about you know how quickly they break and what they make for other players and he was brilliant yeah so, and tony
2: as well tony i thought played brilliantly yeah. too
1: absolutely so I think it's a mix of factors really I think actually apart from the background noise I think it was really Chelsea having 10 minutes where they were very sloppy and suddenly Brentford seeing that gap and absolutely racing through it
2: yeah they really did Um, Lukaku and Werner haven't raced through any gaps for a very long time disappointing again but what shone for Chelsea was Kai Havertz he is their first choice striker now isn't he Trevor
4: he is. I think his movement is very clever. He's, he's, a, he's a player with a lot of culture, the way that he receives the ball and holds it up and his link-up play. Um, and, you know, he comes up with critical goals for them. You know, the European Champions League final, um, amongst others. Um, he, he seems to be their favoured number nine. Um, it doesn't look good for Lukaku because the way they play, they don't play to Lukaku's strengths. We've said this before on the podcast. And um, I'm not sure how long he's going to be there at the end of the season because... If you're not gonna, if you're gonna play a six foot four, six foot five centre forward who likes running in behind and who likes getting onto the bot, into the box for, to, to get on the end of crosses, you've got to play for them, Shrimps, and unfortunately Chelsea are not doing that under Thomas Tuchel.
2: Not right now. Okay, this is the time for lovemaking. It is indeed because Kevin is going to give us a little <laughs> bit of love for Kai Havertz. Go on, you can do it.
1: Yeah, you you read that situation very well indeed, Sam, because I am. Because what's great to see <laughs> is that when he arrived at Chelsea, they didn't seem to quite know what they wanted to do with him. They either played him in a kind of wider role, kind of floating around behind the strikers. And I think Trevor's absolutely right. I think in that centre-forwards position, he has the skill set. He can attack the ball in the air if necessary. He times his runs into the box ever so well. He doesn't look the strongest, but I think he's stronger than people believe. And I think he's improving that part of his game. He has the intelligence to hold the ball up. He's got the passing range to drop a bit deeper and play people in. So I think there's real excitement, not just at Chelsea, but in Germany, about the player that he's starting to become. And him nailing down a position is a big, big part of his development.
2: Let's uh, big up Brentford a little bit. 33 points they've got this season. They will stay up. Um, Ericsson obviously gets a spotlight, rightly so. but the whole team and the manager deserve credit there so do those recruiting behind the scenes as well Matthew Benham the owner they have created a great team and a top top culture and importantly a super tactical framework and they all carried out their jobs perfectly on Saturday afternoon I was at the game at 12 30 which was live on talk sport Liverpool 2-0 winners over Watford Trevor this was a, a case of being one of those matches that Liverpool fans have become accustomed to tense tight winning at a slow jog rather than the canter getting the job done
4: Yeah, I thought they they managed the game really well. You know, you look at the stats in the game and the amount of shots they got on target, the amount of shots they stopped Watford getting off target. You know, I think Watford throughout the whole game only had two shots on target, um, dominated possession, um, just really managed the game well. I think the goal by Jotter just sums Jotter up. Um, He's he's a a great player. Technically, he's he's got, got intensity about his game. He's got desire but he's got a lot of bravery. And the amount of headers that he scores for quite a short guy, um, I think, you know, it's, it's a credit to him because he he puts himself in there where you can get hurt. And that's what all top strikers do. And his goal was absolutely brilliant. The run, the cross, the timing, the contact, and absolutely no chance for the keeper. So I think he's been integral, but the, the recruitment at Liverpool, I think, is, is behind all this. You know, the fact that they've been able to stay with Manchester City, just a point behind in the Premier League now. Um, I think the recruitment, they've seen that they were short in a lot of areas and the recruitment over the last 12 months has been outstanding. And yeah, I think they're gonna, it's going to go all the way. And it, obviously the game on the 10th at the Ette has a massive, massive game. But in the meantime, they're managing games, they're rotating the squad. And uh, Jurgen Klopp has learnt from his mistakes or the mistake of the club by not having strength and depth.
2: Yeah, and um, one of the things that um, must be mentioned is the fact that the next two domestic games for Liverpool are the same as Manchester City. They're, they're each other, the next two domestic games. They've got the Champions League quarterfinals in between hand. Uh, but that big FA Cup tie, as well as the uh, the game next Sunday afternoon. But I just want to pick you up on the, on, on the Watford thing. I actually thought that Watford should have got something out of the game. I don't think they'll ever get a chance at Anfield in the current situation that Liverpool are in where they will ever get an opportunity to get a result at Liverpool like they did yesterday João Pedro should have scored no doubt uh, Kucho Hernandez actually had a free header at the near post in the first half Jan Kutska, Urai Kutska should have scored in the first half as well they had a number of opportunities that on any other day, if they'd converted, hey, they might well have poked the bear and Liverpool might have come out and been a little bit different. But actually, they gave up too many chances, didn't they, Kevin? If they do that against Manchester City, they'll they'll be demolished.
1: Yeah, and I think the approach will be uh, a little different, but I agree with you. I, I think they gave up for a, for a top side pushing for the title. They would have gave up more chances than they wanted. No, know Jurgen Klopp talked about mature performance and he was absolutely right. But Watford did have great opportunity. I thought Juarez Pedro had a brilliant opportunity, really. Uh, A very rare lapse from Liverpool, and that was a huge opportunity. And if that goes in, you might well be right. Liverpool might come back and, and absolutely hammer them after that, but maybe not, because this is the time in the season where things get really tense Mm. and when you've got Manchester City setting the standard that they do then every game you know every time you drop points it feels like a defeat so it was very important that Liverpool got through that I've got a lot of time for Roy Hodgson in general I thought he was very disingenuous about the penalty
2: afterwards (laughs) I I really do Roy Hodgson saying this is not what VAR is for no Roy this is exactly what VAR is for yeah (laughs) Literally, what it's for.
4: That's it.
1: (laughs) You know, you look at Kutska, it's a rugby tackle, simple as that on Jota. And for him to say nobody appealed. What does that
2: matter? <laughs> that anybody appealed? Well, listen, if it's a foul. It's a foul. Dean Ashton and I think said we
1: need to head in that way.
2: Yeah, and Dean Ashton said on, on air yesterday. Well, yeah, but it was nowhere near the ball. Again, what does that matter? I mean, but obviously <laughs> there is a sort of feeling amongst ex-professionals or whatever that that's a sort of that's a penalty that you should be able to get away with. Trevor, is that how
4: you felt about it as well? Not for me. Not for me. And listen, I you know there's been a few occasions this season where penalties have been given. It's gone to VAR. They've overruled the wrong field decision and, and 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 given a penalty where, I mean, Liverpool were involved in one of them. And I, I, but on this occasion, it's, it's it's just, it's agricultural, the challenge. You know, there's, he had no reason to go into that challenge as he did. Um, it's a 100% penalty for me. And I think even though the players didn't um, remonstrate for the penalty, I think it was obvious when you look at the incident, it was certainly a penalty. So the referee got that right or VAR got that right. And uh, yeah, I don't think Watford can really have any real complaints. And this uh, is why
1: Thomas Tuchel used to put tennis balls in the hands of his players in training. To discourage them from that, that yeah. kind of thing. So you couldn't grab opponents
2: in training mm. to try and train them in that before games actually came up. Such a stupid thing to do from eye Kutsuka. I just didn't understand what he was hoping to achieve by that. Because it was such Gild a discipline. blatant rugby mm. tackle. Um, but he is a handful Diogo Jota, and obviously he's now scored more headed goals than anyone else since he signed for uh Liverpool, uh, which is quite amazing, really, bearing in mind he's five foot five. But it's all yeah, about timing, man, like you he said. He? I
4: mean, he, you say he's five foot five, but f- the way he w- runs around the pitch, you'd think he was six foot five because he, he doesn't fear anybody. And no. like I said earlier, one of his biggest strengths is his bravery because he'll go in for any challenge, he'll put his head in where where it hurts. And that is a huge, huge talent to have. And he's got
2: confidence as well. He, like he said afterwards, you know, I know I'll always get a chance to score a goal. I just have to take it.
4: Yeah, for sure. And listen, his goal scoring record this season's outstanding. Um, and key goals as well. You know, you look at a lot of first goal scorers where there's a lot of jeopardy in the game. It could go either way. I think they're the players that stand up and and be counted and he's done that on so many occasions for Liverpool this season already. Uh
2: Super Kev, you're obviously going to be very excited about the next 27 days. Could be another eight games <clears throat> for Liverpool in that period. You're an out and out red. Um do you think they can manage all of those fixtures?
1: Yeah, I think they can for the for the reasons Trevor mentioned, the strength in depth and the recruitment because the one player you look, you looked at that Liverpool squad and thought okay the one player they don't have cover for really is Trent Alexander-Arnold A because he's a right back and B because he's just so unusual I mean there is no player I think in world football quite like him so how on earth do you replace him well you don't try and replace him like for like but what you do do is you put Joe Gomez in that position And I think the cross was sensational for Jota's goal. He put in another really dangerous cross as well. He's been given that license to get forwards, but by nature, he's a defender. And so that's great because you've got that ability to defend, but also he has technical quality as we saw from that cross. So if he can stay fit, and we hope that he can because he's had so many injury problems and it's been really sad to see his career hampered in that way, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be great. And I think... There were so many battles all over the pitch in terms of who's going to get in that starting eleven. It's great competition for places.
2: Those two crosses that he sent into the box went into the penalty area, swinging like a Samurai sword, didn't they? They were <laughs> razor sharp. They were cutting everything in front of them. Brilliant deliveries from uh, Joe Gomez that Trent Alexander Arnold would have been proud. Of Um, Watford, they've got a rearranged fixture against Everton that hasn't been sorted yet and they've got a big game against Burnley to come. Now, those two games probably will define their future, I think, Trevor.
4: Yes, and I think the way Roy played against, say, Liverpool, he won't play against, he won't play that same tactics when he's playing them two sides because I think they need to be on the front foot a little bit more. Um, I've been impressed with the way that he's, he's kind of made them a little bit more solid, Uh, in their all-round play. I think Watford needed that because they were too to play too expansive. You know, they've got talented players in the forward line, but if you're coming from two, three goals down all the time, it's never going to work. So they've got that solid base and I think they will be a little bit more on the front foot against them two sides because you can almost accept getting beat off Liverpool But going into them games, when it's teams around you in that relegation battle, you've got to make sure you turn up and and give a good account of yourselves and get the points in the bag. So really interesting games coming up for them. And and that's the kind of games that will define them.
2: And what a disappointment for those who turned up at Turf Moor on Saturday afternoon. Not only did Burnley not really show up, but Manchester City were conservative in their approach too. Not going hell for leather with a Champions League game upcoming in midweek. A pretty dull affair, Kevin, which City had won in 25 minutes.
1: It was as classic a Manchester City performance in the Premier League as you could wish to see because even the goals they scored, that switch that they have and then they play it back from the far post, beautiful finishes from De Bruyne and Gundogan and that was it. All over within 25 minutes. And they're so good then at seeing that through. And Burnley, you're right, Sam, they were really strangely anemic. The press wasn't there, the intensity wasn't there. It was a very odd performance. I was looking at City's defensive numbers, only 18 goals conceded. But the XG, the the expected goals against, shows that that's pretty much what they deserve because it's 21.8. So it's not that much more. And they're keeping over 68% of possession. Mm. So they're not even allowing the opposition to have that ball and hurt them. Now, obviously, they don't play Liverpool very often. So that's going to be a completely different test. But they're so good at duffing up the lesser lights. It's very impressive to get that kind of consistency. They
2: do strangle the life out of football matches, though, don't they? They get in front and that's it. They're very good at just turning all the taps off and just keeping everything very dry. Uh, and that's a talent in a, in a way, isn't it? Well,
4: of course it is. I mean, that takes a lot of hard work on the training it ground. Does, it takes yeah. a philosophy that everyone buys into. And um, the worst thing you can do against Manchester City is go behind early because they do start games trying to get that early goal because as soon as they've got that goal, like Kevin just mentioned, 18 goals conceded. I mean, it's ridiculous uh, in the, at this stage of the season. They'll be confident that they can see that game out, not by defending and having a deep block, by keeping the ball and, and, and just not allowing you to get any kind of possession. And when you do, that when when the ball's, ball's turned over, them initial seconds, they go, they hump for the ball to win it back. And at, at times, that's when the team that they are pressing are most vulnerable because they've just started to expand and get into positions where they want to start an attack. They get after him, win the ball back, and that's when there's really a lot of gaps where Manchester City can punish teams. So, listen, control controllables, that's what Pep wants. He wants to control games, and we're seeing it this season.
2: And uh, what
4: happens to the team with the best defence in the league, Trevor? You've already told me this, they often win the league.
2: Indeed, of course they do. Um, it did mean that victory for uh, Manchester City that Liverpool were only top for 150 minutes. Uh, the quotes from Pep Guardiola, it's going to be a battle and we're up for the battle. We have to feel the pressure, we have to handle it. What we did in the past when we won 14 games in a row, now we have to win eight, otherwise we will not be champions. Uh, Burnley have two vital games on the horizon as well, don't they? Relegation rivals Everton on Wednesday night. What a massive, massive game that is, Kevin.
1: It is. And I have to say, I, I'm not surprised that Burnley have struggled because you look at the, the strength of their squad and it is a poor squad. There's, there's no doubt about that. But I thought, and I, I got this wrong, I must admit, I thought that Veghorst would have been able to make Uh, a much bigger difference and he just hasn't and I think that's partially service so I think you have to kind of you know, give him a bit of a pass in that regard, but he just hasn't shown what I know he's capable of. Maxwell Cornet with injuries a bit in and out and they're so devoid of any creativity. And I know that Sean Dyche has done a brilliant job in terms of generally getting the absolute most out of that squad's year after year and making it tough for opposition, giving them poor quality shots, but it's just not there, is it? And I was so surprised at how... Standoffish, they were against City. Just they changed the play. formation,
4: Kevin, didn't they? They went to a four-five-one and, and left uh, Vargas stuck there on his own. And I think that's a mistake because if players are playing week in week out in a certain system, which is they're usually four-four-one-one one, or four-four-two. You've got that out ball and if Vegas is winning them flick-ons, you've got someone close to him to exactly. pick up the pieces and every time they won the ball, they look for that focal point. Yeah, they might have found him but there's no one to get them second balls and I think that, looking back on it and I know hindsight's a great thing but I think even Sean Dice will look at that and think maybe that was a mistake but it's one of them. What do you do? Do you, do you have more men behind the ball or do you have that support for the forward when you do get the ball? It's, it's very tricky when you're playing against a but team. He but he
1: wants to play, Trevor. Veghorst wants to play. Of course he does. I think the temptation is to look at him and think he's absolutely enormous. Just punt the ball long mm. to him. It's like what they but used to
2: actually, do with Crouchy. They used to. Just, everyone used to throw balls at Crouchy in the air. And actually, he was much better on the feet with his yeah. feet than he was uh, in uh, in the air. And Veghorst and is actually the same, isn't he?
3: Yeah,
1: he wants to combine, he wants to bring players in. And if he's got runners beyond him, that's great because he can tie up a defender and then play that through to the runner. But if you've got nobody running beyond, nobody can get on the flick on, nobody can benefit from his link-up play and he's just left up there on his own. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? Right.
0: There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on talk sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.
2: Tottenham 5, Newcastle 1, Sunday afternoon entertainment. A brilliant second half from Tottenham. So Spurs finish Sunday in the top four. They snuck in on goal difference after Harry Kane pulled string after string. Trevor, what a fantastic second 45 that was from Spurs.
4: Superb. I think um, they're starting to understand what Antonio Conte wants from them. I think that's the first time they've won three games on the spin for a while. Um, I thought the reaction was really good, obviously, to go behind to that early goal by Shah. and then they just stuck to their principles stuck to their beliefs and, and what they went into the game believing and I thought they executed well I think Harry, Harry Kane he, he didn't get on the score sheet which is unbelievable the Spurs are scoring five but I thought he was the best player on the pitch you know he, he just got in little pockets of space his hold up plays link up play his passing range and it the more he plays the more he's reminded me of Rooney because Rooney wasn't just a striker Rooney had so many more facets to his game and And Kane is displaying that week in, week out now where we've seen him do it a couple of times early on in the season against Manchester City. But can he do that on a consistent level? He's starting to do that more. And I think the understanding around him is if he gets the ball to his feet and he can get turned, get on your bike because his passing range is sensational. So they're starting to have a lot of joy getting that consistency. They've been on a good run before the international break and it was important that they carried that on today. Um, getting the goals, took them into fourth position. I'm not sure how long they'll stay with Arsenal playing against Crystal Palace, but there is a bit of jeopardy in that game. But all in all, really good performance and I think they're really growing in belief.
2: Uh, Six wins in eight for Spurs, 24 goals in that time. Arsenal, they are coming for you. Uh, Newcastle though, uh, Kevin, a bit of a reality check. 31 points would have kept them up last season. Maybe it'll be enough this season, but... uh, at least their run of four away games has come to an end now and they've got some matches at St. James's Park which they can start to bank and maybe get a few more points in because three successive defeats, this one's a very heavy one, that's going to sting a little bit.
1: Yeah, it is. I think it's the nature of the defeat, isn't it? Because they they actually look quite solid for much of that first half but fell apart completely in the second half. But that's kind of understandable to some extent. I think Spurs are one of the best teams in the league right now. Um, You're absolutely right about Kane. Right up there with Lewandowski in the number nine debate, I think. I think that's fair to say. I think yeah. there was a spell when Lewandowski was ahead of him. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Um, his performances have been sensational. I, I, I do Mount Beghals Bruno- was ahead
2: of him in the first part of the season, mate. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I, 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 I think Diego Diego Jota was ahead of him at the beginning of the season. Darren Ambrose he had, a had, a had bit a spell of catching as well. up to do. Kane was a definitely bit of off the boil do. at the beginning of the campaign, but he's back yeah. on it now. I think that's fair to say. Um,
1: I do find the Bruno Guimaraes situation a bit weird Mm. with Newcastle. I'm really surprised that he hasn't started more games because the position they're in... You'd think you'd want to integrate him for next season and give him, you know, regular starts and what have you. So I do, I do find, you know, it's like you've bought a luxury car and you're just leaving it in the garage for no reason. Kevin,
4: I say this about players, you know, when you come in with a reputation and then you get amongst a group of players that maybe there's a little bit more intensity. Um, you've got to show it in training. You've got to almost yeah. earn your stripes. And I respect the manager for making him earn his, earn his stripes because when he comes out the other side, if he, if he has got the ability and he can prove that he's better than... Uh, Jojo Shelby week in week out when he does come through that he'll be a better player for it and uh, yeah I'm I'm with uh, Eddie Howe for making him earn his stripes and earn that position because you know if you start giving out like opportunities that where it's not you start to lose the changing room and you start to lose players and they think well why is he playing I've just destroyed him in training and a little bit like when I was talking yesterday at Old Trafford about Marcus Rashford Mm. if Marcus Rashford was showing what he he should be showing in training he would have started yesterday that's obviously not happening because Ralph Raniak wants to win. And if he thinks Rashford in the team will do that. So I think it's down to us to start showing more in training and when he gets his opportunities and minutes. Give
2: your powder dry on Marcus Rashford. We'll get there. We'll get there. 2pm uh, <laughs> on Sunday, uh, West Ham beat Everton by two goals to one. I actually think Everton, were, I think Everton were quite unlucky in this game. One, because Donny van de Beek got injured in the warm-up. So it disrupted their plans. Although Mason Holgate made an impact in the game when coming in um, from the start. But let's be completely honest about it. Their defence is shocking. Um, it's another away day aberration. And can anyone explain to me what the hell Michael Keane is thinking? On a yellow card, then going through the back of Mikel Antonio. Kevin, What what is he doing?
1: It's a ridiculous challenge for an experienced player, let's not forget. And it's that kind of error that's crept into their game week after week after week. and. You find this often, don't you? When a team's low on confidence and when it's on a really, really bad run, panic sets in and they make decisions they wouldn't normally make. I I thought the winning goal was appalling. Uh, Obviously, Iwobi gives it away in midfield. Then Iwobi seems to be running in treacle, trying to get back. There were spaces opening up all over the place. Um, uh, And then Jared Bowen is obviously able to put that ball away, but they look ragged. And it's not reflecting well on Frank Lampard at all because this is a guy that did a decent job at Chelsea, but not a great job. And even then, they lacked a basic defensive structure at times. And if anything, he seems to have made Everton worse. So, look, he might keep them up. They've got quality players. They shouldn't be in this position. But I'm not sure this has been a good move for
2: him, whatever happens between now and the end of the season. You know what the trend is nowadays? is that uh, all the big businesses, all the big sort of uh, entities have sonic logos you know like so if you, if you say justy you know the sonic logo for justy don't you because they've recorded the you know it's great it's in your mind it's catchy if if Everton had a sonic logo it would be <laughs>
3: that's a disgrace huh?
2: um Frank Lampard insisting that he saw enough in the game though to climb away from relegation trouble um I could see where he was coming from because it, it was moments that decided this game but it was everton's third red card in three matches um circumstances went against us. He said, that can happen, but we played well. The game plan, the discipline, the character, we created enough chances and it's not easy to create chances against West Ham, so there are things we can be positive and happy about. Um, He's actually referring to the Richarlison miss in the first half, which was unbelievable. An unbelievable miss. Um, But, you know, (laughs) my problem with Everton is, is that for all the steps that they've taken forward under Frankie in terms of that they've they've been a bit more intense, they've created more chances, they look like they're going to score more goals. They haven't scored that many more goals. Away from home, they've been dreadful. At home, they're much better. But I just worry about the fixtures. The fixtures are so tough. And I do think it's going to come down to those two games against Burnley on Wednesday night and the game against Watford. Those two games will probably decide whether they stay in the Premier League or not because the rest of the fixtures they've got over the course of the next six, seven weeks are horrendous absolutely dreadful they've got a Merseyside derby to play. I mean can you imagine Everton playing Liverpool at this stage now I mean they're going to get gubbed they've got to play Manchester City I think it's very very dangerous Um, what a great free kick from Crestwell though that was unbelievable that was up there with JWP wasn't it
4: yeah his, his set piece has been outstanding whether it's free kicks or corners uh, the amount of goals that West Ham have scored from set pieces is down to obviously work on the training ground but his delivery um has been outstanding and You know, I think it's it's probably not giving him enough credit because he is a good footballer. He's shown that he can play wing-back, he's he's played left-back, he's played left centre-half, he's good on the ball, his distribution's good in in, in open play. But his set-piece has been phenomenal and, you know, it's no surprise to me that West Ham has scored so many goals, but directly from the free-kick, superb and pleased for him.
2: Is there much difference, man for man, between the Everton squad and the West Ham squad, do you think?
4: I think there is, and I think confidence is massive. You know, Kevin touched no, on but, before, but talent, but um,
2: outright talent. Forget, forget confidence, because actually, the reason I asked the question was is because I wonder whether or not we're seeing the difference of what happens when you've got an experienced, niled old manager who knows exactly what he wants to get out of a group of players and uses about fifteen of them, and that's it throughout the whole of the season, and makes them into a team contesting for Europe. Yet, with a similar sort of group of players, <coughs> two managers, of, three managers, four managers have tried to organize a rabble and yet cannot, for whatever reason, get what appears to be a semi-talented group of players anywhere near looking like a football team.
4: No, I disagree. I think the the West Ham side, much more talented. I think they've got better players in in key areas. I think you've got, obviously, a, a very experienced operator in David Moyes, but also he's had two years to work with these players. You know, he's brought in a couple of players. I accept that, but in general, it's been the same squad of players. So they've been able to work on a system that they like to play. Um, execute that properly, get used to it. It becomes almost subconscious to you doing things because you know where your teammate's going to be. I don't think Frank's had that opportunity. So he's coming in, he's bringing a new formation, he's playing players in different positions. I actually thought Anthony Gordon has been superb this year. I couldn't oh, believe he, he didn't start. So obviously, Frank's not seen enough in training. But in general, you know, I think when you look at the Everton squad, especially defensively, you know, Mikolenko has not played an awful lot of football. There's been a lot of changes. I think they miss Yeri Mina because I think he is a, a, a real uh, leader at the back there. And Definitely. obviously a very experienced international player as well. And listen, this is when you've got Jordan Pickford in goal as well. So if he wasn't there, I don't know what, I wouldn't like to think where they would be in the table because he has made some outstanding saves for Everton this season.
1: I actually think there's an element of truth in what you said there Sam because I think if you looked at that Everton squad and you said to David Moyes do you want any of those players there are plenty he would take he'd take Richarlison he'd take Calvert-Lewin he'd take Allen he might take Dukore as well you know they've got quality he'd probably take Pickford as well actually yeah. even though Fabianski's done a fine job for West Ham so uh, the talent is there for Everton but they've had injuries there's no question about that but there is a Uh, Fragility there. Uh, When things Uh, go wrong, they fall apart. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And those things take a long, long time to fix. And you look at Arsenal. Mikel Arteta is slowly managing to do it. But that club culture was there for ages and it's taken years for him to to try and stamp out. And I think it's only really this season that, that he's largely been able to do that. So the players have to take a huge amount of responsibility. I think the talent's there. But I haven't seen much of a step forward since the change. I I don't think I have. I'd love to tell you that Frank Lampard's gone in there. There's a clear direction of travel. They look much better. They're a bit unlucky. I don't think they are. I think they're still making the same mistakes they were making.
4: Not only that, Kevin, there's been a big difference. Not only that, Kevin, you look at the signings that he made. You know, and I'm look I'm looking, I'm thinking Delhi Ali, we have not really seen the best of him for a couple of years. How much of those uh, did he actually debate? made?
2: He was signed on the Sunday, Frank Lampard, and the transfer window closed on the Monday. It wasn't yeah, like but he had there's a There's communication a week to going run up. on
4: before that. If they're going to give Frank the job, there's communication going, and he must have given it the green light. I just don't understand them signings because both players can't get in the team. They're not starting. Um and if you can't get in the team in front of a Wobie, without being disrespectful, I mean, I don't know what's going on at the football club, but you, you talk about the, the squad strength. I, I think West Ham are a much better team and you look at the bench as well and, and players that are not even starting, Yamalenko Vlasic, Diop, Noble, you know, Masiaku. They've got good players on the bench. They've got a good squad rotation at West Ham. I don't see that. I'm looking at the bench at Everton now and thinking, apart from Gordon, who probably should start, there's not much there. And, and I think that's a problem. And you look at the wage bill, I think it was about 15 million below Tottenham's wage bill. That is a waste of funds. That is a waste of funds because they're not showing anything like that on the pitch.
2: Uh, West Ham face Leon on Talk Sport on Thursday night in the Europa League quarterfinal. Good luck to them. We're looking forward to it. Right, OK, let's move on to Manchester United who uh, drew 1-1 with Leicester City on Talksport at 5.30 this weekend. Uh, Trevor was at this game. What did you think of the decision to play without a striker? Um, are you a needs must or are you a no matter how disappointing Rashford has been he should have played?
4: Um, it's a difficult one because I think you've got to be on the ground, you've got to be on the training ground to see where his head's at and how he is training. Uh, is he coming in on time? Is he doing extra work? What's his performance like in training? Um, because his performances in games when he's had that bit part when he's got minutes, it's not been great. No. So, if that's anything to go by, he probably shouldn't have played. Um, but I can't understand why, um, you've got a team like Manchester United, uh, and, and I understand, um, Ronaldo had, a, had an illness. Edison picked up an injury playing for Uruguay in that qualification game again. Um, but you can't just do what Manchester City do and think it's just going to work and play no striker. They've worked so hard at being able to adapt to playing a system where you've got no striker, but anyone who ends up in that position rotation has certain roles to fill in when they're, when they're in that position of the pitch. I didn't know whether it was Pogba who was playing nine. I didn't know if it was Bruno who was playing nine. But all in all, they didn't have an out ball. And a lot of the time, that's why it was easy for Leicester 1 to push up the pitch. And if I was for Farner and Evans, when that team sheet was, was given in of the Manchester United side, I would have been like this. Oh, my God. Can't, I can't wait for this because I've not got anything to do. As long as I look after the ball, keep our shape right, we are going to have an easy afternoon. And actually, they had a very easy afternoon and we're unlucky, Leicester, not to win the game.
2: Yeah, they were. OK, let me ask you this question, Kevin, because um, I know that you're going to give me um, uh, a, a sort of, let's just say, a, a patriotic answer. Um, Ralph Ranick has got the worst record of any Manchester United manager who has taken charge of 21 games. Look, no one has got the golden touch, but is he out of touch? And yes, this is the German national anthem, by the way. Look, I think what's
1: happened... Uh, I am English, by the way. I should remind people of that. <laughs> yeah, I do no, work but you're in German a, football quite a lot. You're I such a germophile, aren't you? <laughs> it's true. Um, look, I think he has not covered himself in glory. I think there have been failures at every single level here. So what they've done is they have brought Ralf Rangnick in and initially said to him, we want you to try and get us through to the Champions League and then you'll have this really obscure consultancy role for the next two years. So now they should fire him because they're
2: not going to get to the Champions League, right?
1: So what should have happened, really, is they should have either said to him, look, we're going to get a coach in who, who will do this, but what we want you to do is come in and be our director of football. And we want you to rebuilds at various levels, recruitment, uh, how we, what the philosophy is, you know, training ground, you name it. We want you to have that role and fix it. He did it at Hoffenheim. He did it at RB Leipzig. And I know people say... They're oh, tiny well, they're little clubs. Yeah, but the difference is, right... I, I accept that argument. They're, of course, it's a completely different club. But the principles are the same. Yeah. It is about how do you get the right recruitment? Who are you trying to recruit? Where are you looking for that recruitment? All of these things, they're still applicable. A great, but whether he's whether not doing, doing that
2: job, is he? He's not doing exactly. that job. He's doing the exactly. on-field coaching job. And he has never been... That's never really been his role, ever, really. So it's, it's still the- not his role.
4: I think he's got an American coach there that's coaching the players. Um, I was speaking to a few of the boys today at the game. Um, and yeah, the American coach is doing a lot of the on pitch coaching, and the boys are not really having him. I've got to be honest. And you know, I, I agree with Kevin. The principles are correct. You know, if you want to change the flow, the, the, the direction of Manchester United Football Club, you have yeah. to start at the top and you have to start by giving a director of football the, the role and that director of football has, has got his own style of football, what he but wants United to see believe
2: They're already doing that with John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher. You, I know but you John don't Murtagh's agree. I know but you but don't yeah. agree with the appointment of these people, but they believe that they've already got those people in place. So what's the consultancy? What is that for? best in class then? Just to get him there, isn't it? It was just to get him but there, to get someone in. It's a nonsense because what it's they've is. done is it's Manchester actually... United everything they do is a nonsense. They've signed they sign players that don't fit into any system whatsoever. They throw money at Cristiano Ronaldo when they the last thing they actually needed was Cristiano Ronaldo this yeah. year, right? Yeah. The last thing they needed because they couldn't have they couldn't no one to manage him and he doesn't fit into the way they they play their football, right? So, But because he was going to go to Manchester City, they just thought, oh, we we better, we better have him because otherwise he's going to damage our brand. Forget the brand. You weren't going to have a brand in 10 years. You're going to be Liverpool 2003, if you're not careful, where they haven't won a title for 15 years. It's balmy, but that's the way they run it. And until they change that, then it's going to be like this for a long time. And it's a failure on both sides because Rangnick has been
1: largely this project guy who who would kind of look at the bigger picture but for a long long time he's wanted a coaching job in England and I think he couldn't resist and that's his failing to some extent because he's come in and tried to implement something that was never going to work in the short term and no one's and turning down that. Manchester
2: United are they let's be honest exactly
1: and now he's gone in there, he's tried the football that he wants and he's realised, A, the players aren't going to have it and it isn't going to work and I can't do it in the time frame I've got. So now he's jumping from game to game, putting sticking plasters on everywhere and trying to get it to work and it isn't working.
4: And, and just, so, to add, just to add on top of that, Kevin, and I know you'll appreciate this, we're seeing the shadow of Jaden Sancho at the moment. because Yeah, yeah. I, feel, I really feel for him because one, when First you look at the two months fullback, of, the, of the year, he did really well. Yeah, but it, it did he?
2: First I two months see, of the year. But from I, about I, January to about the middle of March, he did all yeah, right.
4: I didn't I didn't see the same player that I've seen at Brushy Dortmund, where they were playing lovely patterns of play. He was getting third-man runs. He was linking the ball. He's not a player that's going to run at a player and take players on. In close quarters, he's got great control and he'll make half a yard and he'll find a pass and get the return. Manchester United don't play like that. I'll tell you who plays like that. Manchester City. He looks like a Manchester City player to me. And unless the the new manager that comes in at Manchester United is going to have the same kind of passing philosophy and patterns of play and passages of play that they have at Manchester City... I don't think Jadon Sancho will be successful at Manchester United.
1: But that's what Ten Hag would do. Exactly. The problem they've got is, okay, let's say they bring in Ten Hag, who I have a lot of time for. I think he's done a terrific job with Ajax. But he's used to having a super competent group of people around him, apart from one obvious incident that we won't talk about here. Mm. But, you know, in general, at Ajax, they've been incredibly competent. Van der Sar's done a brilliant job, the recruitment, all of that. He doesn't have to worry about that. He just goes and coaches the team. Now, can he rely on the same infrastructure at United? No, he can't. And I saw somebody on Twitter, a journalist, say earlier today. I said, "Oh, well, he's going to come in and he's going to make certain demands and what have you, and he's going to want Rangnick gone and all this." I don't think he'll
2: bother with that. The other thing is, is, is you've got to, to remember: to the
4: team. Is, is that you've had
2: Jose Mourinho. And Louis van Gaal come into this position. They've demanded things that haven't been delivered. So if you've got a situation where two of the strongest managers of a generation have yeah. come in, asked for things... And haven't been given them, the likelihood of some guy who's only ever managed in the Erie Division, no disrespect, he's a brilliant coach and everyone yeah, no, admires him, whatever, but he hasn't got the personality of those two geezers. If he comes into the the, the Manchester United manager's office and says, I want I want to- like, Yeah, all right. The reason they're going to employ Ten Hag and the reason they're going to employ Pochettino is because they're are easier to manipulate and to to manage and to keep down because they're going to do what they want to do. At the moment. There was, you know, a lot of people say, and I've seen it said on Twitter before, and you know, I'm sure the Glazers would refute this if we had them on the podcast, but it is a cash machine for the Glazers to take money out of that football club. And until to- that philosophy changes, then Manchester United's hopes of winning anything
4: won't change either. I think just to add to that as well, Sam. You know, I've, the game has evolved massively over the last, what, 15, 20 years. And it's years.
2: more expensive at the very top That's, than it's ever been in terms yeah, of proportion I, I to income, that. But one thing that Manchester,
4: Manchester United always had, and they, I think they still have this philosophy at, at training grounds, is, you know, players dribbling, taking players on, being that superstar, you know, individual brilliance. And I think their past glory, with them kind of players, you're writing gigs and, and, and players like that out, I think their past glories are, are almost they're, – they're a victim to their past glories because the game's evolved now to a completely different style of football. The perfect pitches, patterns of play, passages of play, movement, uh, triggers – and I don't think Manchester United have got that, and it's very difficult to change the DNA. We're talking about Ten Hag Ajax. Ajax were one of the first teams to bring this style of football in. Yeah, but, but,
2: so but Trevor, everybody plays that type of football, and you can't just keep hanging on to history. At the end of the day, everybody has to move with the times. And if you're, to you know, if you're not evolving, then you're basically going backwards. And Manchester United are about—I'm going to be honest—you know, I've been to the training ground a few times this this season, right? I reckon they're about 15 years behind Manchester City. I think they're you know if you look you walk into the training ground it's 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 like a nineties training ground you look at the stadium it's a nineties stadium that they're miles 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 behind the top clubs in Europe the top club in terms of the infrastructure I mean you go to somewhere like Tottenham Hotspurs training ground you've been to Tottenham Hotspurs training ground yep. oh my word I mean that is a proper training ground their stadium is a proper stadium okay they haven't got things right on the pitch yet Tottenham but if they were to get things right on the pitch by the way they'd be a super club because they've got everything there. They've got all the organisation behind the scenes. Actually, they don't spend enough on their talent. They've spent a lot on their infrastructure whereas Manchester United have spent far too much on talent they don't actually need and not enough on infrastructure and getting that balance right is really key. Anyway, we've gone on about Manchester United far too much. We didn't even mention the fact that Leicester thought they should have won it with Madison yeah. in the end. Only actually, when you look at the VAR, it was the right call, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Anyone's going to disagree with that? Yeah, no, no I thought
1: it was the right decision. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was interesting that Brendan Rodgers was saying, oh, Varane's used his experience. No, he's just got tripped over. Just got kicked. That's, that's all he was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they played ever so well, though, and they've been much more much solid better. in the last few weeks. It helps when you have your best defenders yeah. back, doesn't <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that doesn't it that make a, bit of a difference I've just got to give
4: a special, special little mention to James Madison best player on the park I mean he's spatial yeah. awareness he's passing range he's crossing um, absolutely top draw performance and he was really I mean I know that it was probably a foul I thought it looked a little bit soft initially Um, But once VAR slows it all down, I can understand why they give it, but the actual finish, you know, he's so, so competent with his technique. There was no way he should really have been able to force that in on the near post, but because he was, his eyes, his disguise and, and the way that he executes his technique, he was brilliant the whole game through.
2: Wolves 2, Aston Villa 1. Wolves maintain their European charge after a deserved Premier League derby win over Aston Villa. Johnny's Rocket and Ashley Young's own goal earned the host a 2-1 win at Molineux. Uh, Ollie Watkins did pull a goal back with a late penalty, but Wolves held their nerves and they uh, kept the pressure on a race for Europe. Let's talk Aston Villa because they've taken just four points, Trevor, from 39. Four points from 39 against teams Mm. above them in the table this season. How much of a concern will that be to Steven Gerrard going forward?
4: Well, it's a huge concern, especially because they've had recruitment um, and they've got Steven Gerrard demanding a lot better from them. I think second half they were better, um, but they started the game too lacklustre. They seem to forget that it was a derby. And um, listen, Wolves are a good side. You know, uh, Bruno Lage. I've been very impressed with how he's adapted this team and evolved this team. He's got back to their... Uh, DNA of how they want to play I think they've got excellent central midfielders when you look going forward I think they're improving Uh, they're getting used to each other Um, and they just look a good outfit and I'm pleased um, that they're doing well because I've always quite liked the the style of football uh, that Wolves play and I, I think they execute that week in week out consistently and they're they're starting to bring some decent results to the club.
2: Connor Cody talking afterwards, Kevin, uh, saying that Wolves must ignore any sort of the talk about Europe because they're you know they're not necessarily chasing a top six place. They've just got to keep going, blah blah blah. But they are only two points behind sixth place Manchester United. And actually, if Manchester United aren't careful, Wolves are going to uh, leapfrog them.
1: Yeah, and I think I agree with what Trev said about Bruno Lage. I think he's done a great job. Uh, I think he's managed to build on what was already there. I think, uh, obviously, you look at the number of goals and think, well, you know, they're really defensive and, <laughs> you know, they're not interested in scoring goals. But actually, they're a lot more fun than that would make you think. I thought Fabio Silva played well, actually. Mm. I think there's there's something happening there. Green shoots, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's something happening there. I mean, he, he came with a big reputation. It was always going to be tough for him to adapt to start with. Um, I think uh, He Chan Huang is a good player as well. And I'm really glad to see him playing because he was hit ever so hard by COVID when he was at Leipzig. He was out of action for a long time and it took him a while to come back. And he looks more like the guy who was at Salzburg and playing really well. So that's great to see. And they're very, very solid. So much now in the middle of the park think maybe top six is a bit of a stretch for them maybe squad wise if they lose a couple of players but yeah. I think he's done whatever happens I think he's done a great job Villa they've got some really great attacking players but they look ever so fragile I don't watch everything tactically but they do, the balance doesn't look right to me at all they look far
2: too easy to play through can I ask a question about this Trevor I wonder whether or not Actually, Steven Jarre came in, got a couple of good results, got them into a half-decent position. They lost a couple of games when they should have actually picked up more points than, mm. um, than, they, than they did. They, and they played Manchester United, but they were better than Manchester United and didn't win the game. Um, same with the FA Cup game against Manchester United as well. And I think that sort of heartened them a little bit. But they found themselves in a position where, you know, very quickly, they knew they weren't going to get into Europe and they knew they weren't going to go down. From end of January, beginning of February, they <clears> literally <throat> had nothing to play for because they were never going to get relegated and they were never going to get into the European positions, even if they won all the games, basically. So is he sort of a victim of the fact that actually in the back of everybody's mind, they're already thinking about next season?
4: Well, listen, if you're a player that's playing at Aston Villa, you know the ambition that the owners have got. You know the ambition that Steven Gerrard has got. You're playing for your future. Um, And, you know, if you feel you can just kind of cruise to the end of the season, get a couple of good results, lose a few games... I think you're going to be mistaken. You can see from the passion when Stephen's doing his post-match interviews, he's furious. You know, that 1st half performance didn't turn up. Um, Going 2-0 behind against anyone in the Premier League is going to be a tough task. And, you know, they're not that good going forward to be able to pull that back. I think they've got key players that we've not seen the best of. Uh, Leon Bailey, I think he's a fantastic talent. I've seen enough already to know that if he really puts himself to this team and and stamps his authority on on, on the Premier League, he can be a huge star. But he's always injured. He's got pace. He's technical, uh, he's got a goal in him, he's a bit of a crowd pleaser. He just needs to adapt better. But whatever it, whatever's going on with um, Aston Villa, Ollie Watkins has got to be in the side because they've got a lot of technical players that are very similar. Coutinho, uh, Buendia, um, and, and, and others. And they can't all play together because you don't have that threat in behind. And the teams just squeeze up and they're not scared of anything over the top. So Ollie Watkins is a key for them. Um, but getting that balance right and defensively, You know, You, I've never been a big fan of his defensive left. I think he's good going forward, but out of possession, he's not been great. I think Cash is a bit more solid on the other side, but they need to start appreciating how important it is to keep clean sheets and keep the ball out of the back of their net.
2: Leeds won Southampton one. James Ward-Prowse produced more free-kick magic to earn Southampton a 1-1 draw at Leeds and halt their four-game losing run. The England midfielder curled home what was a trademark free kick early in the second half after Jack Harrison had given Leeds an interval lead. I said this earlier on the uh, Sunday session that he has to go to the World Cup, James Ward-Prowse, for this reason and this reason alone. He has a weapon that not many people in the game have, even in world football, really. And In a tight World Cup knockout game, you need someone that can unlock a door. What do you think about that? Am I going mad? But I just think, especially if you've got a 26-man squad... You have to take someone who can do something like that at any given moment.
1: I was trying to think after he hit that free kick, is there anyone right now as good as him in the world from that kind of position? I don't think there is. Not as accurate Uh, and
2: as consistent. This is a guy who hits four or five of those every single
1: year. And look, Mm. Messi does, obviously, but you know there are many messies around. But apart from that, him, that's a different sphere. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, uh, although not in a parish. Uh, it has to be said. Um, I couldn't think of anybody who was on that level in terms of consistency of, of striking it. So as a specialist, I would take him because he's, it's not like he's a bad player. It's not like you're just wheeling him on as special teams.
2: Actually, he, he was one, one of the better players in the recent um, internationals actually, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, he's well,
4: I was just going to say that, Sam, because I was at the, the England game uh, and I thought the selfless work that he did, take away his set pieces. You mm. can't have all Galact... We've seen it happen before. You have all star players in the team and nobody wants to do the nasty stuff. No one wants to track back. Nobody wants to double up. Nobody wants to get them second balls. They just want the ball at the feet and to play he's not like that. And I think t- for something different and for someone that you can bring on who's going to, might not win you the game in open play, but in, in general play, he's going to work tirelessly for the team. He's going to break things up. I think there's there's every reason he should go. And then add on top of that, you, you see his set piece brilliance. I think he, he's definitely in with a shout. I'm sure he's a nice boy. The way that he comes across, he's obviously captain of southampton he, he's a He's a great kid. He's got great work ethic and Add all that to his set piece, um, which is almost like a marquee move, that, I think he could go to, to go to the World that Cup. That is
2: a problem though, Kevin, isn't it? That is an issue. He is too nice and that means he's easy to drop.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Although, obviously, that captaincy role does no harm and I never think having leaders in the squad is a bad idea, to be honest. I, I just think you can look at it two ways yeah he's nice and he's easy to drop but also if you are going to use him in certain situations and you're not going to use him all the time and you say to him well look we might not need you for two three games in a row but in a semi-final when it's really tight and we've got a free kick and we need somebody who can make a difference we'll bring you on he would accept that so i suppose it goes one or two ways I was just going to mention on the lead side of things. We talked about Jesse Marsh, didn't we, when when he first arrived Mm. on here. He's maintained that attacking style, which I thought he would. I think what's been impressive is how when they lose the ball, they look much more solid than they did under Bielsa. Not difficult, Kevin. Yeah, true, but (laughs) that's a bit. Yeah, true. I I think. I I think between us, I I would have probably probably could have done that. Fine, coach. (laughs) But me, me and you, Sam. Maybe even we could have done that. But I think. That's a big part of his coaching, yeah. actually, that kind of yeah. uh, you know technical term resting defense, but when you lose the ball and you're in the right position to then you know deal with the danger, and I think they've done that a lot better and maybe could have had a penalty late on in that game as yeah, well so I definitely it was a was penalty up. yeah definitely I thought it was a penalty, penalty. yeah. yeah.
2: I was surprised the VAR didn't look at it. Anyway, um, Brighton did get a penalty, nil-nil with Norwich. A first half penalty missed by Neil Mopé ensured that Brighton and Norwich played out a goalless draw at the Amex Stadium in an all-too-predictable affair. Seriously, this was so obvious. It was so predictable that this was going to be a nil-nil. And I actually said on Thursday's pod, if this isn't the last game or match of the day, then somebody else is going to have had to have a real stinker. Believe me, it was last on match of the day. Uh, it was mm. dull. It took until the 20th minute for a worthwhile opportunity. And I would spend more time talking about it, but it's literally pointless because Brighton aren't going anywhere and Norwich are going down one thing you know I'm obsessed with expected goals I was looking through
1: and I know this is the thing about Brighton they don't take their chances they had a penalty so
2: that's a high expected goal so that's going to bump up the expected goals
1: but I was staggered when I looked through so I thought right how long has this actually gone on for so I went back through a few seasons two years at least now so one goal in the last seven games as we know so they're according to one of the data providers. So I use the same data provider for the whole thing. So this season, twenty-six goals. The expected goals figure is forty point six. <laughs> That's, That's a massive differential. <laughs> Last season, forty goals from fifty-six point seven xg, and the season before, thirty-nine goals from fifty-three xg. So literally, you could put, put Glen Murray up. up front now, and they'd still be ten places higher up the table. You add all that up and you're looking at a difference of about 50 goals over the three yeah. seasons. Wow. Now, that is... And it's not... Funnily enough, the temptation is to look at Mopey and think, ah, it's all his fault. It's the striker. He's actually scored eight goals and is more or less in line with his personal expected goals figure. So it's the whole team. Yeah. And so... Yeah, but
2: you say I, that. I love you say playing that. Potter hold a on. Coach. Let's go back to that. Let's hold on to that. Mope, right? But... The difference is the difference with Mope is is he misses a penalty and then he scores a weldy from outside yeah. the box or a volley, which is a low expected goals uh, ratio. But that's the problem. So he sort that's of balances it out for... with ridiculous sort of extremes. He misses yeah. tap but scores wonderful goals.
4: But this is him. He's he's a great. He's a scorer of great goals and he's not a great goal scorer. Yeah. And, and you, that's not what they need. If you're relying on someone to be getting 15, 20 goals a season, he's not your man. Yeah, and need, that's where literally Brighton are falling short.
2: We need, we needed that, need that little cliche they, there, Trev. Well done, thank you.
1: <laughs> but they do data all the time. That's what they're built yeah, on. They you know, their they're, they're, on the owner they know It's all about data. We know they know it. How do you, you solve it? You put literally the whole summer budget
4: into one striker. Yeah, yeah. I know that phrase because it's been aimed at me a few times. So.
2: <laughs> 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 oh, well, I was wondering how long it would take him to bring up his overhead kick. Here we go. All uh, right, listen, uh, thanks for, uh, ke- for coming on and joining us, Trevor. Appreciate that. And Kevin Pleasure. too. Uh, if both teams uh, could lose this one, they would have, is what I said, on uh, Thursday about this Brighton-Norwich game and it, it came true. But then again, I don't think I was the only one to predict that. Uh, Trevor, thank you very much. Kevin, thank you very much. We'll see you all again on Thursday uh, when we preview all the weekend's footballing action. A big weekend as well it is next week because I think there's a small matter. Manchester City against Liverpool. Stick around on talk. Biggest ball.
4: rivalry in English football.
2: <laughs> Now-ish. Right, right now. Right, right this moment. Yeah. <laughs>